Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, A Healing Journey to Self-Love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Radically Loved Podcast. This is Tessa. You know, I, I say often, and I've heard Rosie say often, that we have a very special guest on the show, which is true. We always have special guests. But Katie Silcox, I mean, if you have been listening from the very beginning, you will remember first guest on the show. And then earlier in 2023, I think it was February, uh, of course, she joined us again. And so, yeah, spoiler alert, she's back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's just so much to talk about. I mean, of course, your beautiful new book, Glow Worthy. I'm holding it up if you're watching it online. I just love the cover. I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with real paper books that I can touch and feel and smell. And I also love covers and yours is, I'm just, it's gorgeous. So these are practices for awakening your inner light and loving yourself as you are broken, beautiful, and sacred, which is just so needed right now. Thank you for writing this, Katie. Um, I mean, this probably goes without saying, but you are a New York Times bestselling author of the book Healthy, Happy, Sexy, which is Ayurvedic wisdom for modern women. Um, And as I was getting ready for this interview, I was listening back to the very first, I was just telling Katie this before we started to record, I was listening back to the very first interview that Rosie ever did, the very first guest, and you were celebrating that your book, your first book was on the New York Times bestselling list. This was back in what, 2016? Yeah, it's been a while. So I'm just curious, like... What has life been like for you? I mean, we could go back and listen to the earlier episode, but I think in the trajectory of things, I I was thinking about wondering, you know, if you could go back in time and, and do the past, what is that, like eight years over, seven years over again, and give yourself advice, mm-hmm. you know, having written the second book having done just so many things entrepreneurially and in the realm of yoga and healing and working with women, is there anything, any advice you would give to your earlier self? It's so weird that you're asking me that because on our Instagram, I just posted something and it's like our most commented on post ever. And and it was, if you could go back to your 18 year old self and give her advice and you have three words, what would you say? And just reading through them, a really, really fun, funny, funny people, funny things, and also really incredible, right? And there's something about having that three word limitation that makes it really poignant and and arrow-like. And, you know, when I I don't do a lot of going backwards, it's not my tendency. I tend to loop forward and it's also a bad habit, right? Just like Mm -hmm. going back is kind of a bad habit. And so, it's not something that I've really thought about a lot, but I, but I, I like the inquiry. I think we, we should do that. Like looking back, 
not from a place of shame or guilt or, or, or nostalgia even, but a place of wisdom. What would I tell that younger version of myself? And I think really the, the inside job is what it's all about. That, that all external validation eventually leads to more misunderstanding about yourself eventually leads to more suffering that, you know, in some ways it was really great to become a New York times bestselling author really young. Don't get me wrong. I'm proud of that accolade, but there's, there's also like a, a, a backpack that you carry along with a certain level of notoriety or celebrity, which I don't consider myself a celebrity, but I say I'm famish like enough fame to get addicted to the boons of it and not enough for it to really be real. Right. And, and I, over my years, hopefully becoming more and more aware of why I've done the things that I've done, I can go back. Like I think we all can do and see which threads of the part of me that was, um, driving and pushing and striving was coming from a place of wisdom and intuition and light and love. And there's a lot that was coming from that place. And then what parts were coming from a little wounded girl that wanted love and attention and affection and validation. And that little girl is still with me now. It's not like that goes away, but I'm able to see more clearly now as I sit with you today, Tessa, like the, the drive, like what's pushing forward the hustling and the creating and the manifesting and the longing and the doing. And to be able to kind of refine so that hopefully from a feminine perspective, we're coming from a little bit more of a place of gathering and attracting rather than <laughs> whipping out our sword all the time, which, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to do that, but it, it's also not the whole superpower. Mm, yeah. Would you have three words for yourself? Did you come up with them? Well, I did, but the last, it's a cheat. So the last are like together. So we'll pretend there. And it's like, don't okay. try so hard. <laughs> I love that. Don't try so hard. <laughs> it's just four. It's like S apostrophe H-A-R-D. That's right. That's right. And, and there was so a couple of funny ones was buy Apple stock. And then like, you know don't marry him was actually really popular. Um, quit job now, you know, it was really cute to see what, what people wrote. I love that. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, oh, check it out. Such a great idea. And what an engaging way to get people thinking and reflecting in such a meaningful way. I think social media can be, I think in a lot of ways, it can build community, but it can also be very divisive. So I like to see very positive yeah. Positive ways to engage in social media. It's nice to see that. Mm. So, okay, Katie, there's a lot to unpack in this new work. Um, I've got a list of things that I want to touch on. Um, and uh, I also want to be mindful of time. So I'm just going to give us a high level highlight reel and we can see where that takes us. Sure. So I definitely want to touch on uh, the topic of Tantra. Uh, you, Rosie, and I have all studied um, in similar uh, veins, Tantra, and um, I think there's a lot of, and you address it in the book, myths that surround uh, defining Tantra, the study of Tantra, what is it? Um, so I'd love to touch on that. 
Um, something that continues to come up again and again in this realm is spiritual bypass. Um, I love how you defined it on page 121 in the chapter called Wounds. Um, and then this whole topic around around love, love with intention and love dissolving. Uh, this is a whole chapter on love. And I think what I think what there's some kind of question in there about this idea of how do we learn to love others if we're not loving ourselves and where does that really start? It's almost kind of for me, like a chicken before the egg kind of a question, uh, because I think so many of us learn to really self deprecate or maybe we don't have the role models, um, to blueprint on at young ages about what self-love is. Um, and so we go through most of our lives, maybe our whole lives, not really loving ourselves at all. Um, so definitely want to touch on that. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good list. That's good. Any, any of that calling to you to start? So with? Let's start where you started. So Tantra, for those of you, I'm sure that listen to the podcast are aware, but it's this ra radical idea in some ways, but also kind of a deeply intuitive idea that the point of human life is that you are born into a certain set of limitations, whether that be your parents or your childhood or, or your race or your ethnic cultural class, all these backgrounds we can come in with, all these identity labels. Um, and that that limitation, it can also be psycho-emotional or energetic or even, yes, spiritual. The radical part about Tantra is that we say that the, the very thing that feels so painful, that feels like the thing you want to move away from the most, the thing that we are squirming away from through any sort of addiction is the very place that we need to go to find the gold that's sitting behind the wound. And that this, we don't even need to think of it as, it is an alchemy. But if we're looking for the alchemy, we miss the point of Tantra, which is that we're not even looking to alchemize anything. Because if everything is divinity, why do I need to even alchemize? I mean, that's like a very non-dual idea. And so Tantra says, the thing that we're running from personally is collectively the archetype of the wounded healer. And through that wound, we learn the, the one medicine that is on the planet. There's only one, and that's compassion. And so Tantra sees this outer world as the teacher mirroring back to us every day the lesson. And, you know, if you're out there listening, like, if you're anything like me, like, I'm, I'm really stubborn. <laughs> and so I'm like... No, 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 but not this thing, right? And it's like, yeah, look at this, look at this, look at this again. Okay, I'll sh keep showing you until you can finally see the way that your struggle is the struggle, capital S. And in Tibetan Tantra, we do this practice called Tanglin, where you breathe in the pain and suffering of everyone that's gone through the exact issue you are working with. And then as you breathe out, you imagine, you feel, you sense, or you really create the medicine that would heal that wound. And so it's actually in this getting outside of ourselves that we find ourselves. 
And so one more super important piece on Tantra, if you feel like you are stepping into a paradox, you have your finger on the tantric pulse because this place of paradox, this place where there is no up or down, there is no right way or wrong way that you feel like you're on the spot, like Christ is being crucified, the up and the down, right? You're nailed to the cross. That place in our life where we feel the most amount of confusion, the most stickiness, the most, I can't even endure this one bit more, is the portal into enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, right? Your freedom. And so as a tantric practitioner, I've gone through several iterations, many different teachers, and and only to come to this place, hopefully through the practice of seeing that even our yoga practice or our meditation practice or our spiritual practice can be a trap if we are walking into it with this Thing. And so often it's unconscious. <laughs> so that makes it really tricky because you don't even know you're doing it. But so many of us as spiritual practitioners go straight to the teacher that's exactly like our father that we didn't like get along with, or we go straight into the practice that's going to be exactly the sort of um, chemical or energetic effect that we have too much of in our bodies, right? We go towards what we already are to reinforce a groove that's already there. And so to get out of that really is sort of a miraculous thing. But what we begin to see as we quote advance on the path is that even our meditation or our yoga can be a spiritual band-aid where we need that yoga or we need that meditation to alter our state so that we can get more comfortable so we can feel better and that we see that the spiritual practice itself can start to become a reinforcement of an underlying vikalpa or false belief that says the following you are problematic you are a project to be worked on. You are a problem to be solved. And so here's a million different pills and practices and festivals and teachers and yoga clubs and like pick your flavor, right? It's all capitalism. And, you know, I'm a capitalist. We have a company, right? Nothing wrong with that. But there's a million smorgasbords we can feast upon. And so I feel where I am now is really, it's tough, but it's like this place of entering into the meditation or whatever practice energy work, whatever practice you're doing with the spirit of, of unconditional kindness, friendliness, warmth, compassion towards yourself as non-problematic in nature, as inherently good, as the Sundari Lahari says, an unending wave of something beautiful and sacred that all of my life, even my UTI or my bad husband or my weird job or my messed up bot, like all of these things, right, that we work with in this lifetime, that they too are part of the sacred mandala. And that orientation, it's like you just twist it to the side 10, 10 degrees or even one degree, now frees up the energy system to flow. And then once you've got that, you can start to go, hmm, wow, look how petty I am. Okay, look how I walked in the room and I felt better than everybody. Or look how I walked in the room and I felt worse than everybody. Because those twins always ride on the same pony, right? Or 
look at the way that I'm manipulating this person or look at the way that I'm being influenced and manipulative or manipulated, right? We can start to interface with our wounds and our little girl and our insecurity, right? From this place of it all being welcome. And that maybe you've heard before, it sounds kind of trite, but that is banana sandwich, radical high-level practice. And so that's really what this book is, is attempting to guide people into. I love that. Banana sandwich, high level, radical. <laughs> that was a quotable moment, Katie. Thank that's you. Pretty much describes my personality. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so good. So I, um, you know, within that that conversation, there is some flavor, I believe, of spiritual bypass. Um, and if you wouldn't mind indulging me, I'd like to read just a small paragraph from the book. I'm on page. I'm like, I can't even remember how I defined it. So this is great. <laughs> Here we go. I'll remind you. Oh, Lord. So, and I've, we've talked about this maybe for some people ad nauseum. I still think it's yeah. worthwhile to, because it's a, kind of a heady conversation to have. Um, and it's easy to, to brush over it and be like, oh, I got that. But maybe maybe it's worth revisiting. So spiritual bypass is the repression of the brutal truth of life. It's ending all your quote, bad feelings back down into the dungeon. It's pretending you are okay when you are not. But it's not just that. Spiritual bypassing can also look like an attempt to overly spiritualize or give a positive spin to situations that need to be groped, 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 groped yeah. for what they are, painful and unpleasant. It can also be an insistence or on immediately intellectualizing your experience, trying to think your way through your feelings. This is the part where I was like, ah, oh, we definitely gotta, we gotta oh, yeah. talk through this. Gotta, <laughs> it <yeah>. often <laughs> involves identifying with some of your emotions and not others. If you have ever said, oh, I'm just not an angry person, it may be a sign of denial, concealing an ocean of anger you are afraid of waving into, wading into. How many times have I had that conversation with myself or someone I love? <laughs> So yeah, the the thread I wanted to pull on here is that uh, it can also be an insistence on immediately intellectualizing your experience. And I think we have such a tendency to do this when we have all these tools, like when we have a, a book about, you know, how we're glow worthy and it is, but it's like, we can even use that to, to intellectualize our experience and not actually feel our feels and let them go all the way through that that full spectrum of emotion I, what do you want to say to that katie well whoever wrote that book that was awesome i need to read it like you know you have heard this you write the book i'm like hey that's good i needed to hear <laughs> that um yeah one of my mentors says there are these three ways that we slip off of the truth the truth is this moment i'm with tessa this woman who's like the surprise i thought i was gonna be with rosie and here you are and you're just like this brilliant young you know you know, energy that like i you know that's what's actually happening i'm feeling so much appreciation from and for you and you're a complete stranger yet there's this sense of your practice in you that i have in me and there's like a sistership in that practice that you've built and like that's what's actually the subtext of the conversation right and then there's the whole outer realm of this will be heard by others but that realm of sensing and and feeling is the realm of the heart chakra it's the realm where i go from being tribalistic and polarized and 
survival energy and even emotionally uh, reactive and even thinking of myself, right, to, to the heart, which is the me and the you and the us. And with spiritual bypassing, it's an annoying phrase, but we used it in the book. I, I think you're right, ad nauseum. But what people I think may benefit from hearing is that one line where there are these ways that we move away from actually experiencing the raw sensation of our emotion, the raw, direct experience of being alive. We're, we're running from it. I include myself a lot of the time. And one of the ways that we run is through distraction and addiction. So we pick up the phone. Like recently I, I made a, co a commitment, like just no more news media for a little while. It's not serving me. And like it, and I've noticed, I want to go look right. Mm -hmm. That way in which we move off through distraction and addiction is, is one obvious way. But another way is our emotional react or excuse me, our overthinking mind. Right. And then another is reactivity. And so emotional reactivity is not the same as what you said just now, Tessa, of like deeply owning, experiencing, feeling the digestive process of a raw emotional experience move through my being. That emotional reactivity is actually a way of not feeling. And another way for us, and I, I'm a good at this, I'm sure your listeners are too, is we overthink things. And that overthinking has us fooled into thinking that we will be able to solve the feeling that's ick by going to the mental body. And in energy medicine, that's actually a way that we depart from or leave our body. <laughs> so it actually makes us less equipped at handling a problem because we're disembodied. And so, you know, that, and that leads to fear and paranoia and all these states that are super heightened on the planet right now. And if we really do want to be of service, the first thing is we come back inside the body. How do we then not spiritually bypass? We have to know how to come in and down into our legs, our l pelvic bowl and our legs down into our feet. And then goes, of course, energetically down into the ground. And then it comes back up from the earth into us. Getting grounded is actually going all the way down into ourselves and then letting earth energy come all the way up into us. It's like a light's plugged in now to the socket. And so grounding isn't just down, it's actually down and back up. That's what it means to be plugged in and grounded. So by inviting ourselves to come all the way in and down, what we meet is what's there, right? We start to be able to feel, okay, what is the truth of the reality of this moment? Okay, I've got this physical sensation. I've got this emotion moving through. I've got this thinking, right? We start to be able to label these things. And over time, we begin to parse those things in such a way where we can, in a way, disidentify with them as the totality of who we are. And then we get to know who we actually are. And those things are more like passing weather phenomenon. Yeah, I always found that such a helpful metaphor in terms of allowing my emotions to be present and not feeling like, oh, here comes that anger, here comes that frustration, here comes that sadness and feeling like I got to run away. But remembering that this too shall pass and just like the weather, they they will. But first, <laughs> let it go through you and let yourself experience it. Um, I. 
I would love it if, as I was reading, uh, especially in the beginning of the book, the section on love, you provide such a beautiful meditation. And I know you offer meditations in the audio format of the book. Um, but I thought it would be such a a very precious and special gift if we could have a guided meditation from you. Absolutely. That's what I'm here to do. Um, okay. So just the basic in and down, really simple. You can just find, you can do this with your eyes open or closed, but when we close our eyes, it's a little easier to gather the energy and our attention inside. And so just a little caveat, when we come down the back of our body, we're coming down behind our body. So the back of the head and neck and shoulder blades. And if you're sitting in a chair, you can even feel the weight of the shoulder blades or if your head's leaning back on a surface, the weight of the buttocks on the chair or the floor, the weight of the legs. And you can really feel that this back of our body, this even energetically moving your imagination or your attention behind your physical body, we move into the realm of the unconditional. And then you can also play with moving your attention down the middle channel of your body. And that's more typically taught. So you go down through the brain, through the middle of the throat. And you can imagine following the spine down the middle of your chest, all the way down into the lower back. The lumbar spine is the middle of your chakra, down into your tailbone and down through the legs. Now, obviously, when we go down the middle of our body, that's where we're going to encounter our stuff, right? Like that's where we feel that storehouse of the emotions, the past, the old narratives, past stories and memories. And so, of course, if it's too intense, you have that other option of just going to the back body. And that can be a little bit more soothing if for some folks it's like too much, right? We want to make sure we're not in any kind of like overwhelm that won't be supportive. So if it feels good, you can do one of those two journeys. One is down the back of your body, behind you, feeling the contact of the weight of the back of the body. If you're laying down or in a chair, or if you're seated, you can really feel the weight of the buttocks and the legs as gravity anchors those downward. And just, we're building the muscle of attention. You may find if you inhale, come down half the body. You might be in the middle channel or you might be on the back. And then as you exhale, move all the way down the legs into the ground. Inhale down from the top of your head. Exhale down the rest of your body. And I want you to, if that breath helps you, you can really think about pulling energy and pushing it down on the exhale and pulling and pushing. You can, for some of us, we need to be quite sort of intense about it, but then others of you may not even need the breath. It's just really subtle. 
you don't even need the breath. It's just no intensity. And you may find that allows the energy to flow more freely. You can find that perfect amount of intensity. And then that's the main sort of Kriya or movement. And now we can add in these four sort of wheels of the chariot of this practice, this mindful energy movement. And one is you stay focused because the mind will wander off to your problems and worries and that you can ring a little bell and say, oh, I celebrate this. I am a human and now I'm coming back. And so we bring in this first wheel of the chariot, this sense of, okay, focus, laser attention, mind on the spot. And then we add to that second wheel. Now bring in a sense of, a sense of humor, a sense of ease, a sense of levity and relaxation to the practice. A sense of openness and couple that with the focus. Inhaling down half your body, inviting yourself to come back in and down through you. And whether you're working the back or you're working the middle channel, I want you to bring in the third wheel. And that's this sense of compassion and love and a goodness vibes. Like you're looking at yourself like you would a child you love or a beloved that you're aware of and acknowledging your fundamental goodness. And then this last wheel is a really important one, especially in the world that we live in today. And that's the wheel of hope and faith in the power of change and transformation that through our practice, we can grow our love and grow our peace and grow our freedom. Taking a few more moments to just channel your attention, your openness, your love, your friendliness, and your hope and faith down your body. Aware of the feelings and sensations and images and memories, that's all going to come thinking. Just see those for what they are and remain unhooked. No aversion, no clinging, more open, more heart. As we practice, states of bliss will come, states of peace, joy. And for many of us, we may also feel that feeling we've been running from all week or all lifetime. Just know whatever you're going through right now today, that is the opportunity to interface with a part of you that really needs you. 
that need your attention and your love. So that is a place you could rest and stay for as long as you like. But when you're ready, we'll start to make our way back. And mm-hmm. and there you go. Just a little method. And it's helpful to have that four-wheeled chariot. When you get in the practice, some of us can become overly focused, forget about openness. Some of us can be like overly open and forget about focus and on and on. And so... Or we can be good at focus and even a certain sense of openness, but there's self-judgment or self-critique. And so having those four things moving at once starts to really alter the the practice pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very, um, very accessible for me and very, I could immediately visualize and um you know, one thing that I always really enjoyed that Rosie would offer up in meditation is the idea behind feeling, sensing, or seeing something, um, whatever it was she was guiding us through. And the four wheels were very, they were very visual for me. Um, but I could also, there was also a felt sense. So it's very nice practice. Thank you, Katie. What a treat. Oh, so nice. So I wanted to, um, you know, for for the podcast, the ethos, you know, this Katie um, behind radically loved is the idea that we are all loved by God, Source, Universe, um, whatever higher power we ascribe to, whatever higher power of our understanding that we ascribe to. Um, so I'm sure Rosie's asked you this before. Um, and it's a two part question. Sometimes she'll ask it as one, but I, I like the two part. So I wanted to hear, um, as of late, what are you radically loving? And part two is, how do you feel radically loved? Hmm. You know, I'm a big fat love ball. Like love has come easy for me in this lifetime. I feel like I can fall in love with a telephone pole if given the right amount of space and time. Like the channel of love and bhakti has always been really available to me. I grew up with, with Jesus Christ in my life. And like, that's the path of bhakti for so many of us. And, and so I was trained in that from a young age. And, and I think what I've learned about love is that there are times when we don't feel it. Hmm. And there are even people out there that don't resonate with love as the path. And they might have a different method for getting in that, opens up the door to love later on. And, and I think there are moments when it feels like God is actually hiding from you. Um, and that that is the moment where you really can cultivate that fourth wheel of the chariot, like the faith, like I am exactly where I need to be, even if I don't feel a sense of radical love for myself. And so one of the most profound things that I'm radically loving is just honesty and truth. And the truth is there are times when I don't feel radically loved Mm -hmm. and actually say, you know what? I feel radically unloved right now. And, And to open to that ironically brings in love, right? It's like, 
we're, we're all getting the message about self-love, self-love, self-love. Every podcast, I went to a thing on Saturday and it was like self-love, self-love, self-love. And I just want everyone out there to know um, that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> right? Like, what if we get opened how we don't feel the love? And, and like, just letting that be a part of the story, as I said before, ironically starts to open up the energy field to be able to feel the love. Um, and then what I'm, so that's maybe what I'm radically attempting to do as it is a love practice to say unlovability is also loved right now. Mm -hmm. The feeling in me of unlovable is loved. So it's what, what is I, what am I radically loving and how am I feeling radically loved? And I would say I have an um, I have an, I have this awesome mentor I mentioned. I dedicated the whole book to her, and it's like to find someone in your life that can act as a teacher, a mentor, a guide, an elder. It could be a parent, but usually it's not. Um, is is the most radical love I've known in this lifetime. To be able to be in the presence of someone that has the wisdom to be able to see all of the ways that you are a miserable worm and all of the ways that you are a wondrous, radiant queen. And to be able to sit with that with you with no judgment is radical love. You know, and I just feel that in this lifetime, I've been so unbelievably blessed to have really good mentors in my life that have been able to mirror to me, ironically, the parts of me that I don't want to see. Hmm. That to me is radically being loved. And in the moment, it can feel like you're being asked to eat a shit sandwich, right? Like all the defenses we've built up through the ego in real radical love they have to go. Yeah. I I think it's such a gift to have mentors in your life. I um I've I've been blessed similarly to also have mentors in my life and it feels like something that will ebb and flow. Sometimes it will feel like I'm without a teacher or that guiding mirror that can show me what I really need to see. I'm curious, Katie, if you have any suggestions or thoughts. I mean, are mentors people that show up just kind of serendipitously in your life? Do you um, actively seek them out in some way? Well, I mean, that's a deep question. And and we do talk about it in our podcast. And we have a school called the Shakti School, and we created it to be a, at least a year to try to be a mentor energy. So, so many people on the planet want that mentor eldership. It, it's a container. It's an energy that you're being held in, right? It's not exactly the same as a one-on-one, -on -one, but that's what we've tried to attempt to do. But I will say, I think it's both. I actively have always looked and sought and seek been a seeker. And I think you can't just lay on the couch unless you're maybe super enlightened and then, you know, but like I've had to like go out and find and, um, but my mentors that I've been with for years, like I've been with my current mentor for like five or six years 
has come through just asking someone for a recommendation for a particular form of therapy and they sent me her and it was a good fit, right? My When I worked with Rod Stryker, I worked with him for a decade. It came through a friend's recommendation. So it wasn't like I really worked that hard. And so I think that's truly serendipity. But what I also want to say for those out there listening, that are like, I really want a mentor. That phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. I believe that with all of my heart, right? Like, are you ready? You know, I've had students sit in front of me and raise their hand and ask me if I could recommend a Tantra teacher after giving them them a, a lecture on Tantra. Right. And, and I don't say that, like, how could they not see that I was their teacher and I was sitting right in front of them? I say that to the I mean, there's of course, I have an ego. And so there was something there. But like why I mention it, though, now having rocked it, as we say, is that sometimes the teacher is sitting in front of you, but she's a blonde surfer chick who's in her 30s. So you can't see her. You know, my teacher is a blonde surfer chick from Oahu that drinks coffee, which is like, oh my God, that's anti-Ayurveda and anti-Ayurveda, you know, like, you know, so like she doesn't do yoga and uh, I ha I'm proud that I had the eyes to be able to recognize her. And so like your teacher might be sitting right in front of you, but we don't see them because our perception is waiting on the long beard and the white robes and the mala beads, <laughs> you know, and I think... There are great mentors. A lot of them are therapists in this lifetime that will sit with you one-on-one. -on -one and, and, and so in that, and I guess a good place to end is like, just pray for them. Pray mm -hmm. for your teacher to come with a sincere heart and that, that you may have the eyes to see. And that if it's not your karma to be with a teacher, pray that you stay as far away from anyone's influence as possible because, you know, it's, it, there, it's rare to find someone that really you can build that trust bond with. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you added that. That's an important um, reminder for all of us is yeah. be mindful of who you choose uh, and the company you keep. That's right. Uh, Katie, it's been such a pleasure. I am so honored to be on this side of the mic with you. I was telling Katie before we started that I've had the pleasure of doing the back end production of this podcast for uh few years now and I get to be on this side of the mic talking to Katie. So it's been such a pleasure. Um, uh, we'll make sure that we get all of Katie's links into the show notes. So the Shakti School um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Shakti School TV on YouTube and Katie Silcox, S-I-L-C-O-X.com is the website. And definitely check out her beautiful new book, Glow Worthy. I'm holding it up again, but I'll put the link in the show notes. And Katie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tessa. Yeah, it's been really nice to be with you. I will just mention we have a program that's starting for the year, January 17th, and we only do one day and one thing. So if people are interested, that's the, the time to come. Now, sign up. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.